Pacifica Radio in San Francisco. This is Flashpoints. I'm Dennis Bernstein. Today on the show, Greg Palast is back for another edition of the Election Crimes Bulletin. Uh, this time, our man in the voter protection squad goes eye to eye with the racist voter bandits of Georgia. Also, we'll have a crucial update on the life and death case of Julian Assange. All this coming up straight ahead on Flashpoints. Stay tuned. And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. We broadcast every weekday from 5 to 6 over the Pacifica Radio Network. Today we come to you out of the San Francisco Bay Area, and we are happy to have you along. We are not happy to see what's happening uh, as uh, time and the clock ticks out on our good friend, uh, the extraordinary journalist and publisher, Julian Assange. The United States government wants him dead. You talk about uh, prisons and killing people in prison. Uh, here's an example. Uh, somebody who's been really on the front line of this battle is our good friend, Randy Credico, who uh, has been doing uh, Countdown to Freedom, trying to spend years trying to get the word out on Julian Assange. Randy, uh, things are getting ugly, and it really does seem like the United States government wants him dead and might have their way if people don't respond. Well, you're right. Uh, Dennis, uh, they certainly want him dead. They don't want him out. They don't want him talking. They don't want him in Mexico. They don't want him in Australia because they know if he gets there, uh, a lot of the crimes that they've committed against him will be revealed and he will become a living martyr. Right now, he's on the precipice of being a dead martyr. Uh, Doctors from the prison, Belmore's prison, uh, I understand, visited him uh, yesterday. They did an examination, and uh, a, they said, report was, uh, that he has a grim future and may not survive the process much longer. So, um, you know, reporters without borders and all these different uh, international groups have called for the immediate release of Julian Assange. But, you know, this is um, what they wanted. They just don't want this man out. They don't want him here. Uh, they know that uh, his uh, popularity, his value internationally keeps going up. And uh, so they've got themselves in a bind right now, uh, the powers that be. And I'm surprised that he's lasted this long because, you know, I, I know I couldn't. I don't know if you could uh, survive uh, the conditions that he's been uh, that have been imposed on him for the last three and a half years inside this dank, sordid, sick, violent prison, noisy uh, for for this guy, this man, this gentleman who you know, uh, he knows you, he's done the show with us, uh, and uh, he's the most humane individual, nonviolent individual, most brilliant person I've met, one of the, if not the, that I've met in my lifetime, and uh, it just makes me sick. I've been in a bad mood all day until you called and said, let's talk about it. But uh, just to vent a little bit, uh, this is uh, 
I mean, he's been tortured. He has been tortured. He has been humiliated. He has been put in a cell without a computer, without a typewriter. He can't write. He can't communicate. As I've said before, this is Beethoven without a piano. All right? It's Tolstoy without a pen. He is stuck in there not being able to exercise his craft, practice his craft. He's just stuck. You imagine what this does to him on a daily basis in this, what is really a ground floor version of the uh, Tower of London with, with the, uh, you know, modern torture techniques. Um, so, uh, you know, as I, I listen know. to you talk, Randy, as I listen to you talk, I can sort of feel the rage gathering in my throat and on my tongue. And it is very clear that 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 Julian Assange is in a prison cell because he exposed that the United States does what what they accuse other governments of doing, which is to kill civilians, to steal resources and land, as they have done in various countries. We know this. And so be, they have to silence Julian Assange because if he continues to be able to release videos like the collateral murder video in which the United States, you can see a slaughter squad in a helicopter calling into central command, getting permission and then going ahead and slaughtering individuals, civilians, a family, journalists. So the United yes. States, in order to accuse Russia and everybody else, they have to put somebody like Julian Assange in jail and kill him. How many months, how many years has he served for doing nothing, Randy? It's outrageous. And journalists no, on this planet, every journalist on this planet needs to understand that we could be next. Sorry, Randy. No, no, that's what you're saying. It's exactly how I feel, Dennis. Uh, you know, journalists. But we know there are a lot of people masquerading as journalists uh, who are not journalists. They all used his material. I, I, they all loved um, his material. Yeah, they won yeah, awards on his yeah. material. Right. You know, The Guardian, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, they all did. Uh, not, they're only out there in, in support of this guy, Navalny, this oligarch, uh, white nationalist that calls Palestinians uh, cockroaches. That's the only one that they're interested in is this guy, uh, Navalny. Uh, they're not interested in uh, Julian Assange. Uh, and, and that goes I'm talking about journalists. We know the government doesn't care, but the journalists and people who who claim to be journalists and and we know who they are. I you know I haven't watched MSNBC or CNN since the first uh, week of the uh, uh, the situation in Ukraine because I just got tired of it. Uh, one week of it was enough. I knew that where they were going. I knew it was nothing but gaslighting. Uh, but they're not interested in helping out Julian Assange. They'll leave him in a trench. This is the type of thing. You got trench war warfare in World War One, where you had people that left dying people inside the trench. That's what these guys are cowards, uh, and uh, they've left a guy in the trench, and I'll name names. I'll name uh, Chris L. Hayes. I will name uh, Ari Melber, Wolf Blitzer, Jake Tapper, Chuck Todd, and uh, people from the Times, like uh, Richard Engel. All of these individuals have not come to the rescue of a real journalist. As, as uh, um, our good friend uh, John Pilger has said, that Julian Assange has shamed these individuals because he did real 
journalism. And he hasn't been able to do it now in four years. The last three years inside of Bell Morris and the last year when Linda Moreno took over and shut him down in the embassy. So he hasn't been able to do anything. And it's it's just amazing, Dennis. Imagine if you were in the cell and you couldn't do your show every day or at all for four years. Can you imagine that? You know, so... uh, it's it, it's it, it, and so you blame these journalists. Of course, you you blame uh, Biden and, and his warmongering cabinet from uh, Tony Blinken, who's uh, he said, okay, we'll let the woman out who uh, got caught actually committing a Russian crime. I mean, that was like you know whether you agree with the uh, the codes of Russia, but that was a crime there. Okay, but Julian didn't even do that. He didn't even have a, a, um, a vape pipe with pot. He did nothing at all. He did he nothing. Served, nothing. He has served three and a half years, three and a half years in this dungeon, and it's wearing on him. Uh, he had a stroke back in October, and uh, you know, it's just, imagine what it's doing to him psychologically. People need to read that book. Uh, it's called uh, The Trial of Julian Assange by uh, Nils Melzer, psychologically, physically being tortured, and he is being humiliated. And uh, imagine that he can't see his kids. This reminds me of uh, Albert Parsons, uh, who was in jail uh, in the Haymarket era, uh, the, the Haymarket um uh, you know, murder or whatever it was, the bombing. Yeah. He was falsely accused, and she would visit him, but she couldn't take the kids in. He, she couldn't take, and she spent the next 30 years on the Chicago sidewalk uh, saying that her husband was innocent, which he was. He wasn't even there. So his wife is like that, and we had her on the show. That was the last time the two, and maybe the only... The first and last time the two were on together, that is Stella Assange and Julian, if you recall, uh, in, in, in July, July 25th, uh, 2017. And we that had them on in New York, right? We had them on in New York. Yeah. And it, it was, uh, as usual, Julian was in the middle of, I can't remember which story, uh, besides yeah. his oh, own, yeah. because he, he was doing all the work. Um, but yeah. here we are. Okay, so Randy, um what can people, what do you suggest? What would you like to see people do? How would you like to see them stand up? What are you asking people? Do you mention Ari Melba? What do you want people to do? Well, to uh, write Ari Melba, Mr. Righteous Comedian, um, who well, sometimes can, can, can do a story? scream at your congressman in that district, the three districts that surround, three or four districts that surround the Bay Area, maybe five districts. You can scream at them to come out somebody do that, and, and then there's a local. There's a group that's connected with uh, Assange Defense there, and you got some great people on that. They're organizing. Get involved with them. I, I don't know. It, it, it's the Bay Area. All right, look, we're, we're going to give out that information. I want to let people know that we. Uh, that's Randy Credico, and he's been doing this fight for the life of Julian Assange for a long time. Uh, and so have you. Um, so have Randy, you. I appreciate I it. This in 2017, we did so many shows together. You picked up the slack uh, from when I left BAI for the next three years. Uh, it's. It's. I'm telling you. It's. It's. It's this BAI and KPFA. Uh, okay. People need All right. To listen, Randy. Randy, listen. Got to support. Is there station. a website? Is there a is there yes. a website that people, what is it? Can get me. For, for me, you can see 300 shows, including ones that you have been on. Uh, it's called Assange Countdown to Freedom.com. And it's got all of the events. I, I have a, a truck in, in D.C. coming out that's going to be there for eight straight days 
uh, a truck with billboards on both sides and on the vertical back, just floating around with some with some great messages coming up August seventh. Excellent. Uh, so, Excellent. Uh, just want to let you know, and I want to let the people know. Com. We're running out of time. I'm sorry. I just want to let people know that also I'm working with a group of people. I, along with Francisco Herrera, have written a song for Julian Assange. uh, And they're. Hello? I think think we may have lost Dennis, but funny as it is, I was queuing up that very song uh, that he was talking about. So, uh, (laughs) Randy, we're going to let you go and uh, we're going to go ahead and play the song about Julian Assange, free Julian Assange that Francisco Herrera put out uh, Dennis Bernstein wrote the lyrics. Check it out. I saw that we could achieve a lot of reform with a little bit of work. In some cases, one classified video can possibly stop a war. A military chopper opens fire. Instruments of genocide. WikiLeaks unmask the lie. Listening to flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. I'm back. We are now ready for the next edition of the Election Crimes Bulletin with our good friend, investigative reporter Greg Palast. This whole election is being rigged. The election.
election is being rigged. It's totally rigged. Yes, Donald. It's rigged because your cronies rigged it. So says Rolling Stone investigative reporter Greg Palast. You're removing black voters from the voter rolls just so you can win this election? We will treat those people from January 6th fairly. And if it requires pardons, we will give them pardons. So you didn't call him, but you challenged his right to vote or have his ballot challenged. Sir, get out of my house. Okay, I will get, get out, out of, of your house. house. I just... Now. It's now time for your Election Crimes Bulletin with Greg Palast. And you are listening to the Election Crimes Bulletin on Pacifica Radio. Mr. Palast, welcome back. You've been spending some interesting time in Georgia, which is the front line for the next election. What's new? Ah, well, I hope that uh, the Donald... Uh, has a better legal representation than he's had so far, because his problem, his problem is in two words: Fannie Willis. Fannie Willis is the district attorney for uh, Fulton County, which is uh, most of Atlanta, Georgia, and suburbs. And Fannie Willis, while um, um, has is now impaneled a grand jury which is looking into whether Donald Trump and cronies interfered with the and, and tried to overturn the legal vote count in Georgia. Now, we all know about the infamous call that uh, Trump made to, um, to the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. Um, uh, he's no big friend of mine, but, to, to, but he didn't exactly want to go to prison, and he knew that the, that the district attorney would be sniffing around. This is a felony crime, and the specific crime that they're going after is RICO, which is the Racketeering Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. It was actually named after uh, Little Rico, the, char- the James Cagney character, a gangster. So it's the RICO Act, and originally it was meant uh, for uh, um, organized crime to go after the mafia, that you'd create an, an enterprise called the mafia, and you'd have commit several acts. This has been used against the Mongols gang here in California and other organized crime. But uh, then uh, uh, about uh, a few decades ago, a, uh, a guy named Greg Palast had this idea like, well, isn't um, uh, there's all kinds of organized crime, including corporate organized crime. And I convinced the just, U.S. Justice Department and attorneys general and states to open up what was the biggest racketeering investigation at that time, the first against the corp, uh, corporate powers the uh, uh, nuclear racketeering case against uh, Long Island Lighting in New York and its um, and the, the builders of nuclear plants. We got a $4 billion, billion dollar verdict. So I know a lot about RICO because then I went down to Georgia to open up a new racketeering case against uh, Georgia Power, which still controls Georgia and Southern Company for um, everything from um, overcharging their customers to murder. And... So I know the RICO laws, including in Georgia. Now, here's the interesting thing, and this is why Donald Trump better get a good lawyer um, <laughs> or, or a file in a, in a cake. And this is no joke. He's really facing a uh, potential uh, serious felony charges. Georgia created its own RICO statute, its own racketeering statute, which is a lot easier to prosecute people under than the federal statute for a couple reasons. One is political and one is technical. Now, the technical, the legal part, the legal technical part, you should know about. It, the reason it's easier to convict someone of a racketeering crime in Georgia than federally is that 
they is that Brian Kemp, the governor, and his cronies and and the characters before him, have wanted to go after Democratic voter registration organizations as organized crime. So they created the statutes to go after Democrats, and now it's going after Donald Trump. In specific, for example, just a few weeks ago, um, the uh, uh, the Kemp administration and Secretary of State Raffensperger, the Republican, his Republican appointee, um, recommended the indictment of Stacey Abrams' vote registration organization. I kid you not. And they want to put the head of the organization, Ense Ufot, in, in prison. Uh, she was head of the Canadian Bar Association, so she's not your typical uh, criminal. And w- what was this about? They said that they took more than 10 days to submit some registration signatures. And this they're calling a felony go-to-jail crime. That's what they want to do, put Stacey Abrams' organization, uh, shut it down under criminal laws, and put the leadership of Abrams' organization in, in prison. So because they made it easy to prosecute people, it now becomes easier to prosecute um, to prosecute uh, um, Trump because the the crime that they were trying to ch- charge Stacey Abrams people with and many other voter registrations organizations, including the Asian American group Ten Thousand Koreans Vote, including a, um, a several other voting rights groups that they're trying to put out of business, but they so they made interference in the election process a felony crime which uh, counts as what's called a predicate act under RICO. So in their zeal to put Stacey Abrams and Democrats and people of color and voter registrars in jail, they've now set up a case where it's likely to be um, Donald Trump uh, behind bars. This is no joke. Donald Trump behind bars. It's, uh, I don't know, Greg... Um, we have seen this dude slip out of uh, handcuffs many times before. Everybody around him goes to jail. The key players in the crime go to jail. So you really feel uh, that there? Now we we see this unfolding serious, in Washington D.C. Yeah. Do you think it's a better shot in Atlanta than D.C.? Way, way better. Uh, and I'll tell you why. There's there's technical reasons and political reasons, and they kind of mix together. I told you about that case I brought against uh, that I was involved with uh, the case against Georgia Power and for um, overcharges and murder at their nuclear plant involving their nuclear plants. I kid you not. And the justice and a grand jury recommended this is a federal grand jury, not a Georgia grand jury, but a federal grand jury recommended that uh, they be indicted for crimes. But then um, the governor of Georgia happened to become president, named Jimmy Carter, and he appointed a uh, uh, his his crony, um, a guy named Griffin Bell, as attorney general, who is. And then uh, the Georgia Power hired Bell resigned as attorney general. Georgia Power hired him. And had him go to the Justice Department and say, don't indict these guys. So his successor under Carter had to make a decision, and then under Reagan, whether to indict Georgia Power. So you understand the politics of this. Under federal law, the attorney general must personally approve a RICO indictment. So there's all this politics involved. And the Georgia Power gang got away with it. And that's how, you know, and there's tremendous pressure on Merrick Garland, the attorney general right now, political pressure, he would have to make the personal decision about whether to indict 
Trump, and that the, the political pressure is extraordinary. In Georgia, it's quite different. There is no such, you know, um, big kahuna who has to prove the indictment. Only the grand jury and obviously a judge. Now, understand, while Trump and cronies are claiming, oh, this is a political prosecution by the Democrats, the, the, pan, the grand jury was impaneled by Republican-appointed judges, Kemp's own judges, and Republican Party uh, judges. Uh, these, this is, these are not Democratic judges that impaneled the grand jury. Uh, the only thing that the judge and the, the judges have gone completely along with all the wide-ranging subpoenas that uh, the District Attorney Fannie Willis has um, has issued, including on Lindsey Graham, the senator who is making calls to tell the, the state to overturn the election. Uh, you're going to see, I'm sure you're going to see Roger Stone and others who are involved. If you remember, uh, Ali Alexander stood in front of the governor's mansion and said, we're going to light this. Well, I won't use his word, this place on fire. And I was encouraged after he'd spoken to Trump. This could get into, you know, act, you know, that Trump was organizing the violence in Georgia, not just January 6th, but the uh, violence before January 6th in Georgia. It's so almost like a, it was like a, it was like a dress rehearsal. It sort of feels yes. all the key players, they were trying it out in Atlanta because there was the big battle coming up for the vote there. Uh, and then they took it to the, to DC. Yes, exactly. Now, and, and very important. And here's where it gets more dangerous for Trump and the Republican party, the violence that was threatened. And so again, this was again, the practice, as you said, for the January 6th attack on the Capitol, this was the uh, January attack on the governor's mansion. And they were also, I mean, for the legislature by uh, Alex Jones, Ali Alexander, Nick Fuentes, the kind of uh, Catholic fascist uh, leader, Proud Boys, um, Roger Stone, that whole crew were down in Georgia um, threatening violence, threatening to burn down the Capitol and the governor's mansion if they didn't do what they want. And, and they specifically said, unless you make Trump president. Um, that wasn't working, uh, not because Brian Kemp didn't want to help Trump. By the way, this is a great misunderstanding. Um, but Kemp had no legal authority, dead zero, none. He was kind of like Pence, but it was even clearer. He had no way in the world to tell the legislature to go, you know, choose Trump as president. Uh, I'm sure he would have if he had, if he had the power to do so. Um, and now, by the way, under the new SB 202, the legislature does have more power to overturn the, the votes of the public. That's, this is no joke. But here, once again, we have a, uh, an independent district attorney who's getting support from Republican-appointed judges to go wide to bring in all these, uh, these co-conspirators um, uh, trying to overturn the election. And it looks, you know, we know that, that Trump uh, had spoken to Ali Alexander and Alex Jones and others. And Mark Meadows, the chief of staff of Trump, he knew, they knew all about this stuff. And we're encouraging it. And, of course, the threatening calls from Trump to the uh, Secretary of State's office. Now, there were 29 calls. I only, we only have had the tape released of one. I would sure like to know what those others were. And... Um, the uh, I so it also I don't know how much additional information the uh, district attorney has, but this looks uh, I you know 
about a month ago, I would have said there's no chance Trump will be indicted. And I still think that you're not going to see that on the federal level. But uh, this is a very different thing. And I have to tell you, Fannie Willis is a tough cookie. In fact, I think she's a little too tough. She indicted teachers for helping kids pass high-stakes tests, you know, just school teachers. So she's a tough cookie. And uh, she's not a, you know, um, and the judge, a judge did get on her case for one thing, um, because one of the people that she is that is facing indictment as a target of indictment is the guy who's running for lieutenant governor right now. And uh, Fannie Willis um, did a fundraiser for his opponent. This is way before she knew that that he was going to be a target. But a judge said, no, you can't go after this guy. If you want to go after that one guy, because you were supporting his opponent, you're going to have to have a, uh, an independent um, um, expert, maybe a special prosecutor. And that's happening, by the way. And, and that's one other aspect of this story that you have to understand. The electors, okay, when, again, we don't vote for president. We vote for electors for president. And we've talked about the 12th Amendment, how electors can run wild, or you can have a Congress choose one slate of electors, not another, which happened in 1871 when the Republican lost the electoral vote, the Republican lost the uh, popular vote, lost electoral and popular vote, but then Congress used its powers to basically uh, switch out electors and make the Republican president. Now... The one thing that makes this – so in other words, that's legal under the Constitution. What made this an illegal conspiracy is that they didn't – when they sent a slate of electors to the National Archives, which is oddly where you send your slate of electors, when when Trump sent a slate of electors, he didn't send the ones – that were on his slate when on the ballot when he ran for president because a lot of those electors said to Trump, you lost, I can't vote for you either morally. In fact, I'm a bit concerned that it might be illegal. And then there were some electors didn't want to go to prison for Trump or they didn't. They actually wanted to respect the vote of the people in Georgia. That's his Republican electors. So he picked guys out of you know, just his, he just picked people who knew people, you know, just, just basically Trumpite fanatics who were never on a ballot, never voted for by anyone. You couldn't say that there was a disputed count for those electors. So when they sent that list, that was an act of fraud on the federal government because they sent an official list. It's mail fraud because they used the mails. They sent a fake list to the archives, which is the federal government, to have Pence and then try to force Pence to read to say that those electors were chosen. They weren't even on the ballot. They were not on the ballot. So that is the core of the crime. It sounds a little complicated, but the core of the crime is sending phony, never-on-the-ballot electors to the United States Congress to overturn a federal election. And under Georgia racketeering law, I don't know, it looks like case closed, slam dunk. Slam dunk, it's yeah. Tough. All yeah. right. You're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. Uh, my name is Dennis Bernstein. One more thing, Greg, before we take a break. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have been so far ahead of this story in so many different ways. But even if we all, our dream comes true and, and Donald Trump goes to jail because he deserves to, and he's made so many people suffer, even if all that happens, 
or if it doesn't, the thing that you've been on top of, Greg, since 2000 is the fact that there is a moving target and it has to do with us losing a right to vote based on all kinds of things happening at the local and state level. You struck this hard with the film uh, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy. And now everybody's looking at Trump and I'm thinking they should be. But this other thing going on with the boat, the yeah. vote steal, that's in full motion, right? Yes. Well, that's well, the reason I wasn't down in Georgia is that, you know, Trump is, you know, uh, I guess he might make a comeback. But at the moment, that's history. And, you know, we get so focused with Trump because Trump is such a brilliant narcissist. He knows how to make you focus on him, that he's like the lone, you know, either he's he's your great hero or he's the great Satan. And what's being forgotten here, as you said, is why I was down in Georgia. It wasn't about Trump. It was about the fact that there is a mass wholesale purging and attack on the right of black people, Hispanics, Asian Americans, and young people to vote. I have never seen Jim Crow in action like this since I was a kid before the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. This is... Jim Crow on steroids, Jim Crow in cyberspace, and and the guys who are being played in the national press as heroes, uh, the Secretary of State of Georgia and Brian Kemp, who's running for governor against Stacey Abrams, they are not heroes. They are the vote suppression hitmen of Georgia. That's why I'm doing a film called Vigilantes, the Georgia's Vote Suppression Hitmen, because that's the real danger. What they're doing in Georgia and what they're training other states to do, Florida, Wisconsin, Ohio, Texas, Arizona, that's the danger to our democracy. And, yes, uh, you know, following Trump is always fun. You know, he's, he's just, you know, he's just watching a barrel of monkeys. But the real danger is not Agent Orange. The real danger is the guys in Georgia who are leading a national attack on the right to vote like we've never seen. And they are active uh, and not oh messing boy. around. They're getting their job done. You're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back with Greg Pallance. Now, there's, uh, some of you across the country will um, hear about a new alternative uh, language uh, experiment. Stay with us. We are glad to have you along today, and we are uh, particularly delighted to have with us today Sherry Glazer. She is both an actress and an author. Her one-woman shows are legendary. Her political activism, scandalous. Her literary accomplishments, impressive. Yes, indeed. She has been a champion of the feminine for her entire life and has used her artistic voice to promote, highlight, reclaim, and recall the power of the mother. She is an amazing human being, and she's got this brand new, uh, interesting collection and we're going to take a look at Mama's First Pocket Dictionary. And welcome to Flashpoint, Sherry Glazer. Did I get it all right, or most of it? Yeah, you had the majority there, Dennis. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> we, want, we want the majority. Now, listen, this is an amazing new book, and I love the, I love the concept 
of creating a language. We were talking about this just a little bit before we came on the air. But creating a language, you know, imagining a future with a new language. And uh, we're going to talk about that in the context of this work that you've done. But we've got to talk about what is going on in this world. I want to get your sort of gut reaction to 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 the row yank and generally uh what's happening in the nature of the atmospheric pressure we find ourselves in here us activists who have been active for uh, a lot of years yes uh when we showed up for the row protest um in fort bragg in our little town here on the mendocino coast we were saying to each other this is like a college reunion because we did this when we were in college you know, the repetitive nature, the idea that we had gained so much and now we're standing on the corner with the same signs, but a little more emphatic this time. But as far as my guts go, that's where the pain is. That's what we as human beings, as you pointed out, are feeling the pain. Like we're being punched in the gut over and over and over. Like we, we start to recover from one gut punch and then Another one, as we were coming out of the COVID, you know, disaster, which continues, we thought we were out, and then the war in Ukraine started, and we were like, <gasps> you know, and then the gas, and then this. We, we were not getting uh, any kind of uh, respite. And so no there's a feeling of, of avalanche, and that's the gut. So everyone is just in pain and having fear and rage, of course. And a tremendous amount of sorrow, and that's the emotional sorrow, sorrow, sorrow huge, huge sorrow, and uh, the rage is beyond. You know, I can't even measure <laughs> mine. <laughs> I'm so yeah. pissed. There, I'm right, so Billie Holiday used to say she used to smile to keep from throwing up. You know. Yeah, and then there's the fear because they are just so good at that as well. So. Everyone on the planet is going through all those emotions and no language to express because the feelings are so strong. They, they, they dominate the conversation. If you're angry, you're yelling and you're cursing and you're threatening. If you're afraid, then you're, you're hiding and you're sneaking and you're running away. And if you're sad, you just, you know, can't get up. Yeah, I bet. You're drowning. So I feel that. Now, as far as... But I, I, I'm so aware of what I feel and so appreciative of what I feel because it makes me human, as we said earlier, that I, I know that I'm not alone, that everybody, that's common. That's what we have in common. What we say and, and talk about, we just totally disagree, every single one of us with everyone else. <laughs> There is no consensus here. Zero. But we can all agree that we're brokenhearted, and we can all agree that we're furious, and we can all agree that we're terrified. Yeah. And then we have moments of laughter and joy because it's absurd, and we have to go, what the hell is happening? And that's human nature at work. Yes. Well, you, human nature at work is also my guest here today, Sherry Glazer, 
who uh, has got uh, a marvelous collection, Mama's First Pocket Dictionary. Uh, and this really is uh, that the step that we're talking about in terms of the direct. I mean, if you want, we need to imagine a different way to live. We need to imagine a new future, and we need a language uh, to express that new future. Would you say that's sort of your quest uh, uh, in terms of putting this extraordinary work together? Yes. Um, that's the that's the primary reason we wrote the Chictionary. The alternative, the anti-dictionary, or taking the dick out of dictionary, the, the masculine, patriarchal, oppressive spelling. We, uh, my collaborator, Kim Chipsmith, we were living together, and we, we realized, like, it came, became so obvious to us that every word uttered out of our mouths had he, him, man in it, and especially when it had to do with women, as you know, it's spelled W-O-M-E-N, or woman is W-M-A-N. <laughs> Let's just start there. And so without a presence in the language, the feminine, in if you just look at every single word that has to do with the feminine, he's in there. Because we have no representation in spelling the words that we create. Abracadabra means I speak, I create as I speak. That's what it means in Arabic. And so we, we have got to, we infused in the dictionary, Mama's first pocket dictionary, taking the dick out of dictionary, a bridge to the feminine paradigm. We infuse the language, the spelling of words with the feminine. Yeah. We fixed it. <laughs> so we can have a, a way to spell uh, the new paradigm, which the patriarchy is definitely falling down now. We can see it kicking and screaming and breaking things and killing everything. And as the feminine, we have to bear it. We have to witness it. We have to interpret it. We have to take care of each other. That's the thing about the Roe v. Wade, too. It's like, we have to take care of each other, okay? No, they're not going to, they're going to make it very difficult, but we're going to do that because that's what we do. It's the underground. That's where we're going. And we're going to live as best we can. But I would like to create, and that's why we wrote this book, to create at least a, a template, a, 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 an opportunity to have resonant language ring inside the body. Like, let me give you an example. May I? Yes, please. Go right ahead. Okay, so every word that uh, begins with X, like expect excited, extraordinary, ecstasy, exit, right? All those words are EX, which really doesn't ring at all. It's just kind of a strange prefix. But if you, it sounds like eggs, E-G-G-S. So you can say, I'm excited, or I'm expecting, or for example, it's, it, if you... <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. It, it, it rings a bell. That's why you laugh because it. When you when you think of that example, 
and you get excited about it, and it's <laughs> it's extra good fun. And and then as as the feminine, we ring it. We we ring a bell. We ring a bell, and that's what 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 integrates the um, the sound, and you get energy from that, which is exciting. Yeah, I'm yeah. right with you. Just so, feel free to... There's a bell. Oh. So I ask when I change the spelling if it rings a bell. It makes you laugh. That's how you know that it rings a bell or it just gives you a different... It, it, it makes... It gives you a higher vibration. <laughs> Let me you know, just Dennis, read it. Yeah, go on. Go on, please. I, I have tried so many ways to to change the narrative to demonstrate peace, like breast knot bombs, very famous for that, you know, burying my breast at the White House and and uh, San Francisco on uh, Black Monday and the Pentagon and... <laughs> you, you were with the women I... when they surrounded the Pentagon? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was a beautiful action you talk about. I was, yeah, I was, I was there. Under a breast. Yeah. Yeah. And I, in Sacramento, uh, I was uh, protesting Arnold Schwarzenegger's special erection. I mean, election. <laughs> and <laughs> I got busted big time for that one. Went to jail for exercising my freedom of speech. And... Uh, we sued them for the CHP arrested us, and we sued them for false arrest, and we won. <laughs> we made precedent that a woman can demonstrate topless as long as it's political speech in California. You're safe to do that. We did that. We may I that read? Precedent. May I read a little bit of what you've written about this? Please, because it's it's so beautiful. Language is the well from which culture and communication draw their essence. Without language, culture cannot thrive. Hence, we mourn the death of many indigenous tongues. The first language or voice we hear in the womb is the mother. mother. While we don't know if babies may actually be privy to their mother's thoughts, it is certainly true that once little fetuses' ears and eardrums have developed, they can hear sound. The first sound they hear is the beat of Mama's heart, the pulse of her blood, the timbre of her breath, the hum of her vibration, the rhythm of her voice, and the cadence of her tongue. Hence, the beautiful phrase, Mother Tongue. Somehow, that original concept and uh, written word, Mother Tongue, became language. Mother tongue, language. Talk more about this. Say more about this. Well, the the power of of words and tone are ruling the world. You know, and and so true for a baby too. Like. Another concern I have about forced pregnancy to, for the baby to be subject to all this fear and worry of the mother and the poverty, violence, whatever you know they're going through, or just, just huge 
stresses um is going to affect these the the the, the egg you know um and so we as as the feminine and men have the feminine too this is not just about women this is the feminine side of you the one see we start out as feminine We're, we all start out double x chromosome everyone and then a little piece of x breaks off and makes a y that's a question why <laughs> why are the ones who are broken in charge of everything so the feminine has been just completely obliterated completely and part of my job is to walk around and her as her you know incarnate that just be this I, I look like if people don't know me I look like the Venus of Villendorf that's kind of my <laughs> doppelganger <laughs> <laughs> And I know that my, the Mother Earth is the safest place on Earth. Like when I lay down on the grass or pick blackberries from the bushes or drink water, I'm just like, wow, this is fantastic. You know, she just never gives up. And we don't even recognize it at all. We just walk all over her, you know. <laughs> without a thought, without even any consciousness. And that's our common ground. And we're always like, we've got to find common ground. Well, guess what? We're standing on it. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's I, it's amazing. You mentioned the 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 action at the women's Pentagon, uh, the women's Pentagon action, the surrounding of the Pentagon, and I, I, I miss misspoke i said i was there i a couple of my friends were there and i did a lot of preparation to help make that thing happen but i didn't go but my friend a very old friend of mine made a film called the women's pentagon action and it, the power she she took our 94 year old friend ann mcveigh upshur to this to pound her drum at the Pentagon. Mm -hmm. And the power, the contrast of the woman power and the surrounding of the Pentagon, it was, really, it was an extraordinary moment. It just, bringing it back to the moment here, it shows, sort of, you talk about contrasts and where the power comes from, and it was there, wasn't it? See it everywhere. Yeah, I feel like, if we had an emotional response, the feminine response to what's happening in the world, it would change. Like, my dream is women weeping, walking, wailing, and weaving a web of wisdom around Washington and the million men who mean well. And this whole idea of this worldwide weep, this wailing. We're all just walking around, you know, that people don't, they're not responding to conversation anymore, ideals or, or proof or evidence or, it's all just noise. It's all just fear and anger, yelling and crying. Um, and, and so I want to go to the emotional response. As we were talking like earlier, like the gut response, like how are you women, how, and, and how are you feeling? What are you feeling? Let's put it that way. What are you feeling? And to be really engaged in what you're feeling, and but not using it to destroy, but to, you know, to like I said, to connect. 
How many people in the world are mad right now? Oh, there's a, about 8 billion of us. How many are scared? Same amount. How many are sad? Multiply that. Well, and if we, if know, a collective, yeah. well, you know, you, I've heard call for that before. Collective wailing. Didn't women used to do that, right? Keening and that was the strategy or a response to what the heck, this terrible madness. Well, well, it's taken me about 40 years to get a hold of my, uh, on my unbridled rage at how terrible some, some things can be. But I, I don't think I was prepared, and I know not many of us, not many of the people I know and work with were prepared to see a decision that included the liberation of, if you will, the rapist to choose the mother of his son. This is like pushing it over the edge, Sherry, and this is what, in a way, pushes me to the other side towards hope because I don't see how they can get away with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hope's great like that. Hope just jumps right in on the most tragic of circumstances. Hope is a real good ally for us. It's like a, it's almost like a knee-jerk reaction to the when it's the most horrible thing. You have you just hope. For most people, that's common. Yeah, that's the thing. In focusing on the hope and the possibility and the good people of the world, the ninety-nine percent. Let's put it that way. And what we're all trying to do here to keep going and help each other. And then I am hopeful. But when I look at the Oh, you know, the other part, it's uh, all those things. And, you know, I wanted to point out another spelling, very important spelling, and that's the right, okay? We're calling the right wing the right, and that's affirmation. I don't care how you spell it. I don't care if it means the Republicans, but we are affirming that they're right. I, I must say that audio, I hear in my 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 head i hear right and that's not what they are and i will never refer to them as that if they are the regressive or the fundamentalists but i will not affirm those words when i refer to them and i change the spelling of right to r-i-t-e which is what it really is even when it comes to legal rights it's which they can take and give and do anything they want to make them up. And, but our rights, R-I-T-E-S, that's ancient mama for me. So now I've respelled it. Every time I say right, I'm spelling it with that. Even when I want to write something down, I spell it R-I-T-E because this is my sacred experience. This is my rights. This is my rights. I'm doing, and these are my rights. And I'm going to continue along those rights and so let go of that G-H. Ugh, what a mess. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get this. How do you we got to get these words in there. We got to get these words in the Scrabble dictionary. Shall how we? do you expect a child to spell the word right? I mean, come on. Or the word heart. Why H-E-A-R-T when if you put an H in front of art, you got heart. 
And that connects right to your heart. Why is there an E? A he? See, what they've done is they've they've distanced us from, and and, and that's why you're, probably you're dyslexic in ways. When you read the dictionary, you will see clearly. You will go, oh, now that word makes sense. To, I'm makes sense to, to me. <laughs> like even the phrase ma- phrase making sense, we say, oh, that makes sense. Well, that's one sense, and that's not enough for me. So now I say, well, that makes sense. That means I actually get it on every level, and that's connect. This language in, in Mama's pocket, First Pocket Dictionary is available to the magical. It, this is the power of the law of attraction and vibration and inclusion and all the good stuff from a dictionary. And we chose the chicken to be our beautiful coat of arms, a big chicken with very big chicken breasts. (laughs) This is on the back of the book, which is a great illustration, um, to be our our mascot, you know, our proud representation, the chick, the chicken, being like, feeds everybody, you know, alive or dead. It's, you know, it's the most comforting thought to me is chicken soup. And for all those so, dyslexics out there, it's spelled C H I C K T I O N A R Y. Dictionary. Yeah. I still can't spell my own name yet, but I'm working That's on right. that too. So it's available. Can I say where it's available to buy? Sure. Cool? Yes, yes. Yes. It's available on the Barnes and Noble website. Mama's first pocket dictionary, taking the dick out of dictionary, a bridge to the feminine paradigm, by me. I'm calling myself Ma Sherry Glazer and Mama Kim Tripp Smith, my collaborator. And we had our sisters and friends draw the letters for each letter that introduces because it's it's the format of a, of a dictionary. But we our special drop caps are handmade. And there's a place where you can put your own when you notice a word has men in it, like government, environment, you know, employment. All See the men in there, in the ment part? You change it to an I, so government and environment, and it's much more refreshing. <laughs> Very tasteful, too. Really appreciate it. Uh, I'm never going to misspell anything it. again. <laughs> love you, Berkeley. Love you. Thank you so much. All right. May all be well. Yeah. Go peaceful. Call me if you need me. I'm right here. Oh, you bet I will. All right. Okay. Ciao. Take care. Bye.